Welcome to a new episode of AI Chats, a podcast series produced by a law firm of Haynes and & Boone and lawyers from its AI and deep learning practice group to explore the exciting, ever-evolving, and occasionally controversial world of artificial intelligence. My name is Dina Blickstein, and I'm a partner and co-chair of AI practice in the New York office of the firm. I'm joined by my colleague, Zach Prince, from our North Virginia office. On October 30th, 2023, the White House released an AI executive order on safe, secure, and trustworthy AI. The executive order establishes new standards for AI safety, security, protects Americans' privacy, and promotes innovation and competition. Zach's practice encompasses all areas of government contract law including compliance with federal and state regulations and statutes, protect and protecting rights when contracting with the government. Zach's clients range from traditional defense contractors to small businesses to non-traditional government contractors, including commercial technology companies who are creating and using AI. Zach will explain what AI's executive order means for companies that contract with the government. But before we get started, our standard disclaimer. This podcast is for informational purposes only. It's not intended to be legal advice of any nature and does not establish an attorney-client relationship. The topics we discuss are subject to change. Legal advice of any nature should be sought from your legal counsel. Uh, Zach, let's dive right in. Will the executive order affect companies who work for the government? Oh, no doubt. Yeah, it, it, this executive order is setting the stage for various government agencies that are going to be um, establishing applicable standards over the next months and years. So it, it has several overarching objectives, uh, primarily, pr- primarily promoting AI innovation and American leadership uh, and balancing that with interests in protecting civil liberties and privacy. Uh, it's not the first executive order addressing AI and certainly not the first addressing it within government. This comes on the heels of two prior executive orders and the AI and Government Act of 2020. All right. Could you tell us about them? What are they? Uh, So each of these executive orders has a a series of uh, different contours, uh, setting requirements for agencies to set standards and uh, standardize how they purchase AI. Not all that much of what uh, the agencies were directed to do has actually come into play yet. Uh, it all is is coming together now. Um, it takes a while with a nascent technology like this. And so the last executive order uh, did quite a bit. It, the last executive orders, they set up uh, national science and technology councils and select committees on AI uh, the National Artificial Intelligence Initiative Office, uh, the National AI Advisory Committee, which launched in 2022. And this executive order is sort of the capstone on, on the prior efforts. Uh, you know, the government has naturally a, a lot of interest in AI. It can do uh, quite a bit within various executive agencies, uh, and they're already buying AI in substantial volumes. Uh, there's a recent GAO report that just came out in the past few weeks. GAO is the Government Accountability Office, and I apologize in advance because 
I do use a lot of acronyms. I try to remember that the audience is not government contracting folks necessarily. So I'm, I'm going to try to explain them all. Uh, the GAO has been putting out studies uh, uh, commissioned by Congress um, on AI for the past few years. Most recently, a report on how civilian agencies are using AI. There are 20 agencies that responded and said that they had AI use cases, that is planning phases uh, or uh, implementation phases for purchasing AI solutions. Uh, there are over 1,200 examples. Most were science and internal management related, but they, it goes much further than that. So there's a huge need for agencies to standardize how they're procuring AI and what factors they're considering to ensure that uh, the outcomes fit uh, larger government needs. Is right now each agency on its own or the policies you know, combined at some point? Is there like a central agency that would standardize the policies across different agencies? Currently, yeah, it's basically standalone, right? And they're all, all the agencies are supposed to be following the broad frameworks set out in these executive orders and the AI and Government Act in 2020. But a lot of them are really doing it on their own. Uh, DOD in particular was criticized by GAO in a report earlier this year for not actually having any real policy guidance on this. Um, going forward, the Office of Management and Budget, or OMB, has been tasked with informing agency development uh, of approaches for uh, acquiring AI. And they recently put out a pretty comprehensive memo uh, in draft form, at least, on the framework that they're intending to follow. But we're going to see, I suspect, that OMB memo um, take a different shape over the coming months in response to industry comments. And it still will just be guidance for agencies. It won't be mandatory per se. So uh, we're going to, I think, continue to see a pretty disparate approach depending on the agency you're dealing with, with how they're purchasing AI solutions. So previously you mentioned that the agencies are using AI. Can you give us a few examples of how they're using it? Sure. So uh, DOD is a separate animal, and I'll, or defense, Department of Defense, and I'll address that uh, separately. But at least for civilian agencies, NASA has reported using AI to enable uh, tracking uh, uh, or targeting of scientific specimens by planetary rovers. As scientists give them broad specifications and they use those to develop an AI solution that will help guide the rovers to the specimens that they want collected. Uh, the Commerce Department is reporting using AI to automate counting seabirds from photographs that are collected by drones. Uh, the Office of Personnel Management, or OPM, is using AI for natural language processing uh, to provide better job matches for opportunities that are posted on USA Jobs, which is the, one of the primary ways the government hires people. And Homeland Security is uh, apparently using a backpack mobile unit for agents to identify border activity of interest using machine learning. So a lot of different examples out there, and I'm sure there are many, many more. So Zach, do you know if, uh, if these AI systems are being developed by the government or is the government buying them from the private sector? I suspect it's a mix. And even when they're buying it from the private, uh, or, or sorry, even when they're developing it, they're not developing it themselves. They're developing it with the private sector, likely building on existing intellectual property. So, you know, since my area is uh, patents, 
who gets patents on these AI systems? Is it the government or the private sector companies? The usual rule for intellectual property with government funding is that the contractor owns the underlying IP and the government acquires a license. That's not the case with patents. Patents are the exception. The baseline rule for patents under the Bayh-Dole Act is that the government obtains title in what's called subject inventions, uh, except in certain circumstances, depending on the size of companies and how the agency is implemented by Dole. And then the contractor gets uh, a license. So if there really is a development of what's called subject invention using government funding, likely it means the government's obtaining title or at least has the option to elect to obtain title. Got it. All right. So let's go back to the executive order, right? We have a lot of agencies who are implementing AI. Uh, what about AI policy? Do agencies shape the policy at all? Yeah, they do. And it's it's really dispersed throughout government pursuant to this executive order. Uh, you've got uh, OMB, the Office of Management and Budget, that's supposed to be recommending approaches uh, to removing barriers for agency use of AI. It's supposed to be informing development of policies for federal acquisition, uh, identifying best practices, and developing templates for procurement. Um, you've got Commerce Department with uh, its subcomponent, the National Institute of Standards and Technology, or NIST, that's issuing a plan for federal engagement and developing of technical standards uh, and related tools in support of trustworthy systems that use AI. Uh, GSA, General Services Administration, has already stood up an AI center of excellence to facilitate adoption of AI technologies in the government. Uh, and then you know, you've got various councils and committees that are informing the executive branch. Uh, that includes the National Se uh, Science and Technology Council, National Artificial Intelligence Initiative Office, and the National Artificial Intelligence Advisory Committee. So it, it really is dispersed throughout government to some extent that makes sense because different components in government have different expertise. So if all these agencies are standalone, right, and the executive order is being used as a guidance, uh, wouldn't we be getting this joint ways the, the AI systems are made? It's a possibility. Um, we're we're going to have to see how it plays out. I mean, it, it often happens that there ends up being with a, a new technology higher level coordination and how it's implemented, uh, notwithstanding that different agencies have different mandates in, in implementing broad directives. On the other hand, you have things like cybersecurity where different agencies do it fundamentally differently in ways that cause real headaches for industry. So I, I think we're going to see how this plays out. It probably ought to be more consolidated given how important I think it's going to be for years and decades. But uh, at least for now, uh, it's all sort of coming together. Yes, it seems like different agencies are still finding their ways among the different AI systems. That is absolutely true. And there are plenty of people in a lot of these agencies that really will not understand the underlying technology. Um, I mean, I, I, I can share some horror stories about talking to agency people who really don't get what they're buying. Uh, and so you know, part of the issue that the government is confronting is ensuring that they actually have the people in all these different departments who understand the tech and how to use it. That is also a big focus of the executive order. 
Um, I think you're right. Although I think the learning curve for the general population has been huge since the ChatGPT came out last year. Now everyone is talking about AI. <laughs> That's true. It's it's a little bit better than blockchain, where I found that people are just throwing it around as a buzzword. Very true. Well, you know, as as we all know, um, a lot of AI systems are being trained on training data, right? And that training data may make the AI system having an edge over its competitors. Right. Obviously, the AI systems that the government and individual agency will use would be trained on training data. Right. Is the government comfortable handling over their training or their data to train the AI systems that they may be buying? So they're probably more comfortable than they should be. But you know, when we're talking about government, we're talking about millions of different actors or that that's probably not even a real exaggeration. The government is so huge. Uh, some buying groups are not really thinking about it. And so they're just signing whatever commercial software terms might apply, which likely does mean that the company that signed those terms has the ability to use the data however they want. Uh, the more sophisticated agencies are being careful to restrict uh, the private sector's use of government data, even anonymized and disaggregated. And then there's everything in between. So it really depends on the contracts at issue. I think more often than not, government purchases of AI systems uh, tend to be bespoke. And so they're you know, solutions that are running on government machines and that aren't allowing uh, data exfiltration. I think that's agencies are most comfortable with that. But you're not going to be able to buy that from you know as a commercial off-the-shelf solution uh, which means it's a lot more expensive and it's a lot more time consuming this is just part of the balancing act in government between you know, need for efficiency and need for data security and uh, we'll, we'll see how this plays out the difference with ai systems right they have to first of all they have to be trained on tons of data right so that requires huge amounts of processing time and also huge amounts of power Right. So is the government doing anything to uh, to keep the systems within their control? Yes. I, from what I'm hearing, the government is you know, trying to ensure that AI solutions, at least with any sort of sensitive programs, are being run either in government equipment or equipment that meeting that's meeting government uh, security standards. So, you know, all the big cloud service providers have government versions that are meeting the government requirements, usually the compliance with uh, NIST uh, 800-171 or other similar security frameworks hosted within the United States, et cetera. That's not going to be enough, of course, in the classified world, uh, but the government is trusting to those, uh, those vetted solutions. So, you know, earlier you mentioned that um, you have um, USA.gov that's using an AI system for uh, finding a job or for employment, right? Are there any uh, data equity and bias concerns in using AI for the for the for employment? Yeah, I mean, there there are across government. Uh, there really people are worried that the data that go in are going to skew outcomes, and that the outcomes themselves might result in discriminatory uh, conclusions. 
Right. So that was the big part of the executive order, right? Yeah, it, it was. And, you know, unfortunately, I, it seemed to me that there was a, a lot of worry, a lot of raising of concerns without much solution. And it, it might just be because the solutions have to consider you know, the individual examples and each case. But you know, there, there has been talk for quite a few years already, uh, even in these executive orders and agency memoranda about wanting to ensure that there is no discrimination on the basis of protected class, which of course is vital. It's un unlawful and constitutional. Uh, but how they're going to go about doing that um, is still kind of unclear. All right. So I know you mentioned before that each agency has its own way of dealing with it. Um, do you have any examples? Yeah. So the, the best example probably comes from the most recent um, Office of Management Budget or OMB memoranda they put out right after the executive order was issued. It has minimum practices that are required for safety impacting and rights impacting of artificial intelligence procurements. And it has a ton of examples of AI use cases that would fall under uh, either a rights impacting or safety impacting framework. And as for each of those, there has to be this extensive analysis, uh, including ensuring that the AI solution will advance equity, dignity, and fairness by identifying and removing factors contributing to algorithmic discrimination, uh, assessing and impacting uh, and mitigating disparate impacts among demographic groups and ensuring that it's using representative data. But again, that's that's high level guidance. That's not really an example. Um, for for an example of how we've seen discriminatory, potentially discriminatory uh, predictive models uh, outcome, um, the, the White House cited uh, a predictive model uh, that was attempting to predict whether students were likely to drop out of school um, by, and that was then used by about 500 universities around the country, it apparently did use race directly as a predictor. And the resulting risk scores were used by advisors to guide students to or uh, towards or away from particular majors. Um, that That is concerning that it did use race as a predictor and that could raise serious constitutional concerns. Right. So I think uh, I think a huge issue with this, right, since uh, we're buying a lot of these AI off the shelf products, we don't really know how they're trained. Right. So can if the government buys these systems, can they be held liable? Yeah, there may be constitutional cases that are going to be brought, um, you know, coming out of this. I, I'm not a, a Section 1983, you know, Bivens Act constitutional law lawyer, but. Uh, I can see that there could be real lawsuits that uh, are brought forward and prevail potentially with damages if the agencies err by relying on race-based analyses, at least in certain contexts. So, you know, I, I think that's part of why this OMB framework uh, for how agencies are supposed to buy AI going forward is going to be really important. And it's going to be mandatory starting uh, mid 2024 under the current draft, but I don't know what that's going to end up actually looking like uh, for both new and existing AI solutions, at least for civilian agencies, that they have to conduct these ongoing analyses, including for um, equity. So let's talk about um, a different topic. Let's talk about controversial AI technologies. Like we all know the private sector is using AI-based 
face recognition systems. Right? So Medicine Square Garden, for example, is using face recognition technology. Uh, what are your take on the government using the same technology or you know, similar technologies? And how would you counsel our clients who make those technologies? Well, they're definitely using that technology and they have been for quite a few years. And you, you get why, right? It's not just for convenience, it's for risk mitigation that they want to make sure that, you know, they're, they're identifying threats appropriately. But on the other hand, there are significant civil liberty concerns. So uh, Homeland Security at least has a formal policy document about use of face recognition and face capture technology. It has to uh, ensure that any such solutions are independently tested and evaluated, has to repeat that analysis every three years. There has to be an opt-out process for non-law enforcement purposes. And then for law enforcement purposes, when it's used, it can never be the sole basis for enforcement action, although it always begs the question, what's the sole basis mean, right? If, if it's 99% of the reason they took action and then you know 1% was some hunch, is that sufficient? Possibly under this read. So as somebody who cares about civil liberties quite a lot, it makes me uncomfortable. Um, from the agency's perspective, I know why they're wanting to buy it. And if I were a company that made that sort of tech, uh, you will definitely have an interested buyer depending on uh, the solution you can provide in both Homeland Security and the Defense Department. Right. So, you know, j just to conclude, Zach, uh, what advice would you give companies who want to sell their AI systems to the government? And make sure that you understand uh, the agency you're selling to and the use cases that they are, they're targeting. Uh, and you understand what their policy and other documents relating to AI purchases require. You, know, you can't go into it thinking, I've got this great commercial solution. I'm just going to sell to the government like they're a commercial customer. You know, set aside that there are always major compliance risks that come from selling to government. There are various obligations. You know, they're going to expect you to be able to demonstrate right off the bat that you can comply with their security standards, that your data uh, for your systems has been adequately vetted, and that you can uh, ensure that the outcomes that are being suggested are reliable. Uh, we don't, uh, the, the agencies aren't going to want to purchase uh, something where it has an outcome that is clearly erroneous, like we've seen in some of the more famous uh, issues with the open source uh, AI solution. So you know, it takes a lot of careful consideration before you decide to sell to the public sector. But the public sector is a great source of funding. Uh, it is somewhat recession proof and, you know, ultimately you want, or I think most companies that are based in the U S would like the United States to continue to, uh, do well and prosper and, um, making sure that they're using the best technology that our government's using the best technology is an important part of that. Right. And when you think you're all ready, you will have another executive order or more AI legislation, and that will bring you back, not to square one, but maybe square two, in, um, developing or improving your AI systems. That's absolutely right. And for better or worse, the government's penchant for constantly issuing new mandates uh, keeps me in business. <laughs> I think it keeps us all in business, Zach. Well, thank you for joining us. It was a pleasure having you on AI Chats. Thanks for having me, Dina.
And also thank you to all our guests and listeners for joining us on this episode. You can find this episode and also our future and past ones on major podcast platforms, such as Apple, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Amazon. Take care all.